Are you looking for the best tips and tricks to run a successful dental practice? You're in the right place. Welcome to Bulletproof Dental Practice, interviewing some of today's most successful dentists with your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak. All right, Bulletproof Dental Practice podcast listeners. Today, we have the new co-host, Dr. Craig Spodak. He and I have become very, very close friends, primarily from... I think y'all heard our backstory on uh, the first interview he did, but he and I are so aligned in the way that we practice that we've decided to kind of join forces. Additionally, because it also lessens the, I should say, the workflow, because creating a podcast and content is a lot of work. And so Dr. Craig here wanted to help with this in terms of um, you know his sphere of influence. And my sphere of influence are different, even though we're aligned and kind of our practices are very, very similar and they're large practices. But our connections throughout the dental industry are quite different. Our experiences are quite different. And um, two dentists is always better than one. So exactly. buddy, welcome to kind of back to the podcast. And now you're on as the other quarterback. And so I think together... We will make this just a, a more amazing podcast. I mean, I've gotten such good feedback from, you know, even the first 20 episodes. And But I think really you can, you know, the synergy of us will make this just a lot better in perpetuity. I agree. It's good to be here, uh, Peter. I'm really excited about this. So if you guys see, you'll actually see that the thumbnail for the podcast actually changed. Craig is actually on there as well now and the website and everything. So it's it's kind of official and um, like I said, I'm looking forward to uh, really jumping in because he and I vibe off each other pretty well and just getting a lot of, you know, it, it really is. And Craig, you'll totally agree. It's really just about getting value to people who listen. And really, it's our contribution to the industry because we've received so much from dentistry as a whole and, and our mentors as a whole. So it's really paying it forward, giving back and just kind of, you know, doing our thing, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful profession. It's been great to both of us. And, uh, you know, we're, we're learning. We're learning from each other. And uh, if we can add more value to our colleagues, then that's a tremendous success for us. That's all that really matters. Just want to add value. You know, it, it's funny that, you know, you know, you added that we're learning and we really learn from each other and we are constantly going to events still. And I think, I can't tell you how many times that you and I have had conversations just personal at night or whatever. And I'm like, damn, this would be such a good I wish I was hitting record right now because it'd be, so, it'd be so awesome just to kind of like have people have this raw, authentic conversation about like, you know, in the trenches, grassroots, like driving the ball down the field, so to speak. And I think that's where it's going to, you know, kick ass for us to be discussing just raw and authentic because we don't have a secret agenda. I actually just got off the podcast re today, Craig, from someone I just interviewed. And he's like, well, how can I help you? Like, what can I do to promote the show? And I'm like, well, really, you know, I don't do consulting as of right now. And I don't have a secret agenda. My wife asked me the same question, like, why are you starting a podcast? Like, you don't have enough stuff to do. And so I basically, my explanation to him was the same as everybody else, is that literally I do it because I love dentistry. I love the business of dentistry. And it keeps me super accountable and in the game for where I want to go next, because I have goals too, you know, just like everybody else. I want to I be moving the ball down the field as well. And so it's all those reasons. And I think that's why our friendship has kind of flourished because you and I, like I indicated earlier, are really aligned in, in the trajectory of where we want to be. Yeah. I just want to help dentists and I want to help dentistry advance. So, you know, my wife has asked me so many similar questions too. Why are you flying up Dallas? Why are you lecturing? Why are you doing this and that? I mean, as a third generation dentist, I feel such an immense sense of pride in our profession, but also just a sense of responsibility to help change the profession as a whole. And every time I go anywhere and lecture or speak to any dentist, 
it's never a one-way process. I am always learning. I've never given a lecture or, you know, had a conversation with you or I don't walk away feeling like I've learned something as well. You can't give without receiving. It's incredible. Uh, and uh, that's what gets me fulfilled and that's what gets me fired up. So we're 100% on the same page with that. Yeah. And truly the point in which you feel like you have it all figured out, you're, you've lost it. You're dead. Well, we're growing. We're growing. So well, you I mean, I'm saying, I'm saying people who think that, meaning that like how arrogant would it be for any one of us to say, oh, we've got it all figured out. Look at, look at us and beat your chest. And I think the minutes, and there are people who do that, you know, not just in dentistry, but as a whole in professions or professional careers. Once you do that, I believe that's your plateau. That's as high as you'll ever go because without the aid and mentorship of others and coaches and et cetera, you're dead in the water. Yep. Totally true. And that's the definition of being just masterful is just knowing what you don't know. You're going to always get better through life. And as your practice grows and you get more employees, I mean, it's easy to kind of master your domain when you have, you know, one hygienist and one assistant, one front desk person, but then you'll grow a little bit. You'll get five and 10 and 15 and 20 people and new challenges arise. Maybe you have an associate or market conditions change, dentistry's changing, technology's changing. And that's the beautiful thing about our profession is you never... That's what creates fulfillment is just constant, never-ending growth and improvement. And if you master it and it's easy for you, you're going to get burnt out, I believe. And that is, you know, you talk about burnout and that's a huge, huge issue with our profession. I mean, I almost saw, I tell people, I actually lectured just this past weekend at Mark Costas's Dental Success Summit. And literally, I was very transparent with the audience saying, literally, I almost burnt out in 2015. And, I, and I'm not just saying that, like, literally, I was in discussions of how do I quit or how do I sell? You know, I was out. I was done. I was burnt out, done and done. So I totally, totally agree with, with you there, buddy. Yeah. And what do they say? You don't get burnt out because of what you do. You get burnt out because you forgot why you do it. So reconnecting to your purpose, sharing, you know, our trials and tribulations. We all put our pants on one leg at a time. Dentistry is very hard. I like to tell people I had my own little crisis a couple months ago. It's very difficult for me as well. And I came out the other side of it, but it's not easy for any of us. And there's no mythical place where you arrive and you're done. It's a constant, never-ending process of improvement, but that's exactly what creates fulfillment. And one day, many, many years from now, when we're not able to practice anymore, God willing, it's when we're 70 or 80, we'll look back and we'll look it back at all these challenges we had and we'll reminisce and see how we surmounted them and learn from each other. And I think that creates a great work life. This concept of retirement, this concept that we're supposed to sell our practices or assemble 10 or 20 and flip them and retire. You know, retirement's a broken industrial age concept. It was from the German government in the late 1800s where they couldn't pay the factory workers enough money to keep these older people employed. So the chancellor, the German chancellor at the time, instituted the policy of retirement. And there's statistical evidence that shows that when you retire and you play golf and you have no reason to live beyond just entertainment, you don't live long. You can actually golf yourself to death. There's statistics that show morbidity increasing with retirement. So uh, I think it's great that we find contribution. My dad, God bless him, he's 75 years old. He's working three days a week. And, uh, you know, at one point he told me when he's 65, he's done. And that came and went. And he finds fulfillment in treating patients and helping people. And I think it's wonderful. Yeah. And you do get a lot of insight from being a third generation dentist, you know. Wait, am I misquoting that? You're a second generation. No, I'm I feel like I'm talking generation. to someone. Okay, third. No, Got third. it. I feel yeah, like I'm third. talking to so many. You know, I was just talking to Brady Frank this weekend, and he was telling me he was third generation as well. So I was yeah, making sure I genetic, did. It's a genetic abnormality passed down from generation to generation. <laughs> I'm hoping well, I well, passed it to my kids. 
I'm the first of one. I'm, I'm wondering if that's if all of a sudden now I'm going to be the primer for for that. I wonder if my kids will will turn hey, look, into that. Wouldn't you be proud of them? And would, that's such a great profession, especially for you know the girls that we have. I think it's it's one of the best professions uh, for a woman as well. It's hard, you know, when you're an orthopedic surgeon to maintain a practice, or if you're in you know. But for dentistry, you know, especially working in group practices like the ones that we provide, I think it's a fantastic profession for women and men. I, I love dentistry. And I was telling the audience just this week. And I was like, you know, I think that, you know, you always hear about like the golden age of dentistry, I hold other guys talking about it, but like, I think this is the golden age, you know, and I haven't, I've only been practicing for, you know, let's see, 16 years now. But I mean, I do remember times when it was tough and, but you know, you hear about the golden, you know what I'm talking about? I'm sure. You're, oh, totally, you know man. I hate when people say that because if any age of dentistry is the golden age, it's now. Because, I mean, you talk about the golden age of dentistry, like if it was like the late 80s, before Septicane, before Invisalign, before Sarek, before third-party financing. That was not, I mean, it's like that book, Who Moved My Cheese? You know, people, dentists don't really like to adapt, and they weren't adapting. And the ones who were 40 and 50 years old in the 80s and the, or the early 90s when it was the golden age of dentistry, they're only saying that because they're still practicing the exact same way, where they actually you know, learn from their medical colleagues that we're doing you a favor by seeing you. You walk into their offices and some of them have that little glass partition so that, you know, that you walk in, they hand you a clipboard and you sit down and you're being greeted like by someone who's not happy to be there. And But dentistry now, this is the golden age. There's more dollars spent on dentistry today than ever before. You know, we have wonderful tools available to us, you know, from anesthetics to optical scans to faster turnarounds. This, without any doubt, is the golden age of dentistry. And I think people may say that, you know, because of insurance and things like that, that it's not, that it's less. We, or corporate takeover, you hear all the time. So insurance and corporate exactly. takeover, the two like wah, wah, wahs that I hear all the time. Exactly. Exactly. It's so um, funny when you hear that because it's just, it's not. Insurance is a factor that you have to deal with. But if you build a remarkable practice, if you build a raving fan culture, if you add more value than any other dentist, you don't have to worry about insurance. People will go out of network or travel far to see you. You know, insurance is the penalty that you have to pay if you're not willing to be remarkable. It's like advertising is something you have to do if you can't create your own story. I mean, advertisers are, are hired to craft a unique story about your practice. If you have a compelling practice, you have a compelling story. You don't need to advertise. So it's just the same thing with insurance. All you know, right, there so are market this, conditions. This Sorry, parlays, but. no, you're all right, man. So this parlays nicely into what the core of our discussion today is going to be about. And and I think a lot of, I get a lot of questions from this, as I'm sure you do, because you actually have an amazing culture, but it's really, how do we create that contagious culture and team that everyone talks about, but few can implement? You know, so, and especially in the areas like I have older dentists talking to me about how they don't understand the millennials because, you know, a lot of their offices, the 25 year old individuals, and they don't understand that, that generation. And so, you know, how do you connect with that, them? And so I really want you to kind of go deep on this because, you know, I've, I've been envious of, of your leadership and demonstration of this in your practice for sure. Well, cool. Thanks, Pete. So, um, you know, I'm going to be borrowing a lot from a well-known author that I'm lecturing with right now, a guy by the name of Chuck Blakeman. He wrote two books. One of them was a uh, best business book of the year, 2010. It was Why Making Money is Killing Your Business. Pretty interesting title. And the other one was Why Employees Are Always a Bad Idea. And basically, his thought is that 
all management books that we're aware of today were based on this idea about the factory. And the factory is where most people used to work at the turn of the century. And most people that worked in the factory were actually children because adults wouldn't take that crap. Like adults wouldn't screw a nut onto a bolt 5,000 times in a day and be subject to terrible operating conditions. So as the industrial age, people just showed up because they had to. You know, some guy built a pencil making machine and you sat and you worked the machine. You shut up. You don't ask questions. Don't tell me about a better machine. Just sit there and work the damn machine. And business, a lot of business principles, management principles come from the idea that people need to be managed, that people are inherently stupid. They don't know how to feed the pencil machine. So you have to manage every part of it. The whistle blows and you do this task. The next whistle blows, you go take a break and so on and so forth. And millennials come along now, the people born from like, let's say the early 80s to about 2000. And they come along and they they don't want to do what they're told just because you said it. So a lot of doctors remark about the work ethic being different. People just don't want to show up and work. But, you know, I want to challenge them because millennials are actually really dedicated if they have a reason why, if they have a compelling reason why. Disney is overwhelmed with job applications and so is Facebook and Google and Silicon Valley. People are willing, millennials are willing to take basic entry-level minimum wage jobs and work their tails off because they believe in what they're doing. So Chuck Blakeman is talking and, you know, we just lectured in Dallas a couple of weeks ago for the Get Off the Treadmill Summit. And we were talking a lot during that discussion about the new age, the participation age, where people are not presumed to just be stupid pencil pushers or, you know, pencil factory pushers, basically. And people come with their own brain and their own set of creativity. It's just the workforce has beat that out of them. For the last hundred years, we have told people, don't think, shut up, do your job, don't ask questions, just show up and do it. But Pete, we're in a service industry, man. We don't make pencils. Our team is responsible real time for creating culture. So when someone's upset on the phone and we're working on a patient, we need a team member that's engaged, that has their brain turned on, that creatively manage that bad outcome or something going wrong on the phone. And that's the only way we can create that raving fan culture is if our team has their brain turned on and they're actually thinking. Imagine if a patient called up and they're upset about like a $25 fluoride charge and the front desk person just didn't know how to handle that because you didn't have a process or a script for that. And they just kind of fumble on the phone. Like, you know, let me, uh, I'll go check with my manager. I'll go check with the office manager. Like these people should be free to make their own decisions as long as they're within a paradigm of what you created as acceptable. So in our office, for example, we run on a set of cultural values, you know, taking the very best care of the patient, delivering well through service, being humble, et cetera. And that gives the team member the context to answer that problem. It doesn't give them the actual answer, but it lets our team members know what they have the creative power to do. So maybe a team member will actually just take up upon themselves to credit back the $25 fluoride charge or whatever it is to make it right. But we encourage the idea that people are creative, intelligent people and they don't come to work and they automatically got stupid somehow. You know, they got to work on time. They, they dress themselves. They have children. Some of them are single mothers and we get to the work. We have this, uh, get to their job. And we have this idea that they're just all of, all of a sudden just completely stupid. Like, Hey boss, tell me what I need to do today. Tell me what to do. I mean, in fact, many of our employees, our team members know exactly what to do. They do the job better than we do. You know, I don't know the process for taking a new patient. My girls at the front know what to do. So, you know, the, the process is now something that we let them create. So we're creating this idea of what's called self-managed teams. So there's still management in it, 
but it's not management from the top down. It's management within the team. So we have an Invisalign team in our office, and that's a completely self-managed team. They voted on what they wanted for incentivization. They set up their own goals. They educate the doctors and the rest of the team on what the goals are, but they're entirely self-managed, and it's been beautiful. It's been a really cool process because people are more fulfilled, more in control of their own destiny, and they feel really good about it. So how do you prevent from like people just going rogue on their own mission, and it's not aligned? I think as dentists, we're control freaks and like to give up that control and say, okay, look, you're an intelligent young lady or man. I'm going to give you the autonomy to make the decision in for benefit of the patient. How do you, number one, prevent someone from like going, like I said, rogue. And right. two, how do you swallow it in the face of like, eh, that's not the, what I would have done per se, but like, you know, how do you, um, you know, once you make well, that a, step, like how do you question. make yourself abide by it? Well, that's a good question because will it be done exactly like you're going to want it done? Not all the time. It might only be done, you know, 85% exactly how you want it. But it's not to say that, you know, people come in the office, you hire a new person and say, hey, go give it a whirl. This is a result of a lot of discussion about what expectation we're trying to get to. It's all results and performance based. So if the goal is, is to, you know, have wow customer service or make sure every person that calls feels like they're being taken care of, that's a parameter we can agree upon. So we don't tell them the what and the how, but we all tell them why. What are we trying to get to? Why are you here? What is the job that we're, you know, what's the result we're trying to get to? And the why is something that we encourage. So your employees, your team members are not asking the questions that they should. You have a process in your office, we all do, that's just completely broken. It doesn't work. But the one question that employees are forbidden to ask is why. And because the machine of the industrial age was the pencil-making machine. Don't tell me you have a better idea for the machine. Just work the goddamn machine. Screw the the bolt, uh, the nut on the bolt, and just do 5,000 of them per day. You know, that's the industrial age. The participation age is people want to ask why, and we encourage them to ask why. And the new machine is the protocol. So I know a lot of uh, our colleagues are big fans of certain types of consultants that give scripting for everything. And scripting makes people so damn robotic. It's crazy. Like when you call, you know, one a customer service company like AT&T or if your Samsung TV breaks down or whatever, you deal with these people on the phone, they're out of India, and they're all scripted. And it's so, it doesn't feel authentic. It feels like a robot. They're actually not even talking to you. They're, they're talking through their scripts and it's so annoying. So what we encourage our people is to ask why and we don't have protocols per se. The protocol of participation age is the machine of the industrial age. Just like you wouldn't say, don't tell me about how to run a better machine. Now the protocols jam down people's face. The way we do it is this and this and this. You take a patient call, you do this. These are four questions you ask, get them off the phone. And it doesn't work in real time because people want to get to know everybody nowadays. Now the new culture is the new successful business. They want to know everything about you. They want to engage with their your front desk people. So, you know, it's not always going to go the way we want, but we don't want to make our team members wrong. So if someone's unhappy about a crown because they had to come in for two or three occlusal adjustments, you don't want to, you know, have your front desk person give them the whole thousand or fifteen or two thousand dollars back. That would be a really bad idea. But if they did it because they're trying to take the very best care of a patient, we don't want to necessarily make them wrong in the process. We may want to, you know, say, hey, geez, you know, that, that was really nice of you, Sally, but that's really not good for taking care of the business as well. 
So it's through extensive training that we're going through where, and all the decisions we make, you know, we have to take into consideration everybody that's affected by it. You know, one of our goals is people understand we have to run a thriving business. It's not like we just want to take the very best care of patients and lose money. We're not a non-for-profit. So right. we understand the results that, that come from all those decisions. Right. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're still a business. And so, yeah, it would be great to just give everyone free this, free that. And, I, you know, I know some dentists were probably squirming when you were, you know, saying how, like, if someone refunded something that what they weren't essentially, quote unquote, entitled to, you know, how that could be a problem. But they're smart people. Our team members are smarter than we give them credit for. I mean, when I go in and pardon me, talk to a patient, invariably, I'm giving discounts more than my team would. You know, my team is very careful about the discounts they give. If they ask me, I'm like, don't ask me. I'll give it all away. You know, people come in so, for something. And I'm, I'm very apt to want to give everything away. And my team members will oftentimes, even just a chair set assistant will say, well, why'd you do that? Why'd you give them a discount? They weren't asking for it. You're already taking really good care of them. Don't do that. Yeah, but that's you and you're the owner and you've been in dentistry a long time. Like, so how do you empower someone who is new or they may be new to dentistry or they may be on the phone. Like, how do you empower them to basically what I'm kind of gathering is that instead of get creating all these strict guidelines and all this stuff, you're defining the standards and then they're kind of cut loose provided that all the standards of Spodak Dental are followed. Yeah. In essence, that's kind of what it is. I know it sounds scary, but yeah, these are intelligent people that we spend an inordinate amount of time training them and letting them know what results we're trying to get to. And then they're mentored with a team lead. But ultimately, I want to really turn their brains on. I want people thinking. this. You can't come here and not think. You know, I don't want people just following some sort of script. And if during the process they make a mistake and give away too much, I'd rather them be able to tell me why they did it. So I don't care how or what you did as long as you had a good reason for it. I just care your thinking. Versus so like, well, I, I just didn't know. And Sally told me to do that. Right. And because that would obviously indicate you weren't thinking. Correct. So there's more, you know, so if we're talking about creating the contagious culture, so obviously mistake correction is just one little facet. And hopefully it's a very small facet of that contagious culture that people become, your patients become ambassadors of. So let's talk about kind of some of the positive things that are done in that culture creation. And I think it's it goes back to, again, the team. As I was kind of lecturing this weekend, I said, you know, one of my biggest revelations in, in my career was that once I could get myself the hell out of the way and let my team really run with themselves, totally. Totally. you know, once I got out of my own damn way, like, wow, well, hockey stick, you know, well, like. Well, look at this, Peter. Like we start off in dental practice and many of our listeners are just brand new, newly minted dentists just out of school. And the first day on the job, we did it all. We unclogged the toilet. We took the credit card. We didn't have an employee, you know. So the first lesson is you have to be self-sufficient and we literally do it all. Then you hire your first person, your second person, your third person. And over time, that doing it all, doing everything yourself actually gets in their way. That controlling ass, you know, that controlling thing cuts people off and people want to do more. Your assistant, you know, you may have a really engaged assistant that's just sick of sucking spit and she sees the office falling apart while you're cutting your crown preps and she sees all this inefficiency because she cares and she's a stakeholder, you know, acts like a stakeholder and believes in you. But you know, at a certain point, you may be stepping all over her and not getting out of her way quick enough. So there is that subtle distinction where you have to just literally let people do what they're capable of doing. 
and trying to control them because we're dentists and we're typically pretty controlling people, it works to our disadvantage. You know, our successes and failures are micromillimeters. And being a business owner, you have to see the macro picture, not just the micro picture. So we're trained to see success in the micro. But in actuality, we need to see the big picture. We need to see trends, 13, 18-week trends, and see letting, getting into people's way and letting them do more. It's a, it's a wild concept that you have to master. There's a wonderful book actually called um, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. I think it's by mm-hmm. um, Glad, is it, um, Goldstein, actually. I think it's Goldstein. But it's a wonderful distinction of whatever you were doing in the beginning will actually totally screw you up in the end. And I'm happy you had that aha moment. I've, I'm having them all the time. That crisis I was alluding to a couple months ago was one of those where I had a really engaged person who's like, you are constantly in my way. And you know what? She was really right. And it was really a loving conversation that she had with me where she's like, listen, if you don't get out of my way, I have to leave here. And it was a big, big wake up call for me because I was stepping all over her and, you know, you know, micromanaging and micromanaging yeah i mean because we have people that we hire and they're one they grow so you know you think of your person that you know you might have hired as a sterilization tech but then all of a sudden she becomes a leader and people are going to her and asking her questions you got to get out of her own way you got to create a career path for her that she doesn't uh, run out of room in your organization whether that means you know taking up to more of like an office manager or, or doing more maybe taking over your supplies you, people want to do more you know, so many dentists are frustrated that their employees are not engaged and they're not, they don't have their brains turned on. But in actuality, it's possibly our fault. We're just micromanaging right. the hell out of them. They come up with a great idea. And you're like, nah, Sally, that's not the way we do it. Nope. You know, why do we do it this way? Don't worry, because I went to dental school. Or why do we do it that way? That's the way we always did it. They get that enough, a couple months of that, they're going to stop thinking. Because I'm the doctor. Because I'm the doctor. <laughs> you just listen to me. Exactly. Um, but if you have that attitude, you will totally shaft the psychology of your practice and your team. And that's the beginning of the death spiral. When you tell your people, stop asking why, stop getting curious, stop learning, kill their creativity, you kill your culture. But it's more, it's more than this. So looking at your book, it's actually by Marshall Goldsmith. I just Googled it real quick to make sure. So if people want to, I'll put it in the show notes as well. But it's, it's more than this of just like getting out of the way, because like, obviously that's not the solution of just, Hey team run wild. You guys be awesome. Like there needs to be a quarterback on the field. Right. Of course. And, you know, we, you and I are at a different level of our practice. And I'm fast forwarding a 20 year career. You know, I've been in dentistry for 20 years. And the first stage was, you know, just survival, you know, hoping the phone to ring and then realizing it was my mother, you know, calling me to, you know, <laughs> asking me if I want to come home for lunch. I'm like, no, mom, I'm waiting for patients. And then you get to that, you know, it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. As time goes on, your challenges will, will change. So I'm really speaking to that guy who's been a Established for a couple of years, and he's thinking about how do I bring on the next associate? How do I? I feel like I'm doing everything myself. I got you know five or six employees, and I feel like if I didn't show up, nothing would run without me. So it's that type of distinctions, that first dilemma, the first dilemma of like I've managed everything. Now let me start getting out of people's way. And there's additional dilemmas over time. You know, when I was, I think we talked about this when I was with Richard Branson because I was lucky enough to spend a week with him. The guy is so amazing and he has a famous story for meeting someone and looking at their resume and realizing this is a very bright, successful person that was a CEO of another company and basically telling the guy like, hey, I really like you. You're a really smart guy. Dive deep into my company and fi- or my companies and figure out a job that you could do. And then that guy wound up, you know, founding Virgin America Airlines. 
but it's after careful study and you know, really crystal clear culture because, you know, culture is just constant, gentle, persistent beating of the drum, telling people what you stand for. It's not like you can just, you know, start a de novo office, hire five people and say, hey, you people look like you know what you're doing. I'm going to go fishing. I hope it all works out. But, you know, after you've been working with people for long enough and they know who you are and know your expectations and you have identified those results, you know, results based or performance based uh, ideas, that's when you can start stepping out of the way. And you don't do it on one fell swoop where you disappear to, you know, to the Bahamas for six weeks. You do it slowly and you check in with them. You know, you bring up something, too, is that about the Branson story and. It kind of um, is something that I do in my practice when I see someone or I, I don't do all the interviews per se, but when I do interview, you know, for some reason we're, we're fixed on the, well, how much dental experience do they have? And I've gotten out of that box a little bit. And sometimes I don't even want that much dental experience, you know, and I, I tell yeah, my office, manager, you know, you know what? You don't want it because that, that person probably worked for a guy for five years that said, Hey, I'm the doctor. Stop thinking, you know, right. so they're all, they stop thinking. And it's a, it's a totally different, not to keep saying the word culture, but it's totally different. Like my culture I know is going to be different from anyone else in my area. And so like I tell her, I'm like, look, primarily let's hire on the energy that you're getting from that person, the attitude and the demeanor, you know, like training the dentistry part is probably the easiest part of that. Right. Meaning it's the most, it's the only part you can train is what I'm trying to say. Like you well, can't well, train someone every, to be, you know. I was thinking when you're talking about that, Peter, it's like they may not have dental experience, but they have dental experience. They've had an experience in a dental office. You don't need, they know how they'd like to be treated. If they're the right personality and they're, they connect with people, that stuff you just can't train. You can't train personality. So you hire for personality and you train for that skill. You can train anybody to do just about any job in dentistry. I've done that all. I mean, obviously you can't train a doctor, you know, on the job, but my best assistants, some of them are on the job trained. Some of my best front desk people are on the job trained. It's incredible. It's true. That's where you can find great people. So, and that's one of the tenants that I think starts creating that contagious culture, right? And I hear, you know, because I guess I'm trying to get to the kind of the granular steps of creating a culture. If you think your culture sucks or you don't like what's going on, like how do you start converting so that Reviews happen organically because the meaning that you're creating such a raving customer experience and culture and contagious environment that like business just grows because it's all been kind of predicated on what you did while they were there. Well, right? you got the reviews and right. just happen organically and, you know, and referrals happen organically and you're not asking for them. They're just happening because you are head and heads above the competition in your area you know so what are some of like the grassroots like stuff that we can give to someone that says hey you know look mm -hmm. at this and start doing this and maybe even give some examples craig of stuff that you've seen going on in your practice and maybe i can do some of the same about things that i know have been like all right now that's you know next level shit i say <laughs> exactly so that's next level you know when i when my team does something i'm like that's next level that's who we are right, right and right, they get right. fired up and i'm saying that is exactly ads you know i say atlanta dental spa but i say ads i say that is exactly the ads culture and i high five them right well, like, because you're even referring to the fact that you have a culture. 
So the first step is like recognize your culture and explicitly define it. So if you have an office full of five people and you ask, what do you stand for? Why do you exist beyond making money? You're going to get probably five completely disparate answers. That's the problem. So, you know, some people may think we're, you know, we, you know, Doc likes to do crowns. And another one says, oh, no, Doc just hates Mondays. And the other one's like, no, Doc really wants to do sleep apnea. Or Doc doesn't like complainers. So it's like you have to explicitly define your culture. And also you talked about hiring. We have a very paternalistic hiring practice in the modern work world. Like, you know, so we have in our group, in our organization, in our within the self-managed teams, we have them hire their people. So what would happen typically with me is I'd meet, you know, an employee and be like, oh, wow, she's really nice. She's pretty. She's funny. Great. You know, I'd send her over the admin team like here. I met your here's your arranged marriage. Hope you get along with her really well. I'm intending for you guys to work together every day for the next five years or 10 years. Hope it all works out. So it was this paternalistic idea that I was doing the hiring. Now that team hires and fires on their own accord. They figure out what they need and they do the hiring and firing. So we've taken away this idea that it comes from another place. We've also put in peer recognition programs, which are really, really important. So every Wait, morning- we, we got to stop. We got to stop with that one you just mentioned because I have you're we're about the same age. So you remember this is what I tell my team going back to what you're saying about putting it back on the team to hire. And so I always tell them I'm like, okay, who remembers the Under Armour commercial? And I know you're gonna remember it. And it's the guy saying, "Who will protect this house?" Right, right. And it's a little silly, it's but I tell house. my team that. I'm like, you love where you work, right? And you love the culture. You love your teammates. I was like, one bad apple can spoil this. So protect this house. Be involved with the next person who's on this team because if they're toxic, they can ruin, you know, it's not just that they'll be a a crappy team member. They will ruin your work experience. So protect this house. Right. But if you have that traditional top-down organizational culture, they're not human and adult with each other. So Sally's mad at Joanne because Joanne's not carrying her weight. So Sally goes to the doc and says, hey, doc, Joanne's not really doing her thing. And the doc's like, hey, well, you know, okay, let me go over and talk to Joanne. And no one's really being adult. That's like a childish thing. That's what our kids do with each other. I mean, unfortunately, you and I know that really well. You know, hey, you know, Daddy, Gavin just pulled my hair, you know, and I have to deal with all that stuff. That's what kids do. Adults keep it real with each other. And we encourage them to do that. So when someone's not pulling their weight, they get called out privately. We have this thing where we just have this reality thing with each other. We just pull two people together and we have an agreement. If someone is talking about someone in my office and they're telling me, but they haven't told the person, it's gossip and we don't gossip. So I'm going to literally, if they come over to me and say, hey, Sally's being a problem, I'm going to say, have you talked to Sally? Can I go get Sally right now and bring you right there to Sally? Like I won't be a party to it. We're not gossiping. Same thing goes with me. People are all kind of mumbling that I was late to huddle a couple of times and there was a whole bunch of talking about it. And someone brought this group to me and said, hey, you expect us to be there on time. We want you to hold you to the same standard. And I agreed to that. I agreed to live by our values and I'm not immune from that. So you got to step up as a leader as well. You got to that. So they called you out on that big time. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. man. sometimes I walk into work and people like, Hey man, you seem a little off. Are you, are you okay? Are you like, you seem like a little down. I'm like, Oh really? Shit. I'm like, let me go like in my office. I'll do some push ups. I'll change my physiology or something. Cause I demanded of them. If you come in like with your head down, like, oh, where's the coffee? Uh, I can't believe it's my example. You know, you're totally leading by example and not above the law, meaning just because you're the doc and the owner, you're you're not above the law. And so you're more susceptible to the law, Peter. You've got to live by the law even more 
every iconic leader of every iconic organization lives by their own creed. They all do. That's why you say, hey, that's totally ADS. That's totally Atlanta Dental Spa. Branson's the same way. He's like, that's the virgin way. He wrote a book, The Virgin Way. And it describes exactly what the virgin way is. And the virgin way is to party. Like Richard likes to party. And he believes that partying is really important and party's good for business. And when you go th- walk through an airport, you know, like walking by Southwest and American, all of a sudden you like start hearing some freaking house music bumping. And it's like, oh, damn, that's the Virgin Airlines check in. You know, these people like to party, you know, so it's part of their culture. And every culture is explicitly defined. You know, Howard Schultz of Starbucks called it the Europeanization of America. He wanted a place where people could vibe and chill and have coffee and sit in a comfy leather couch. And everybody can tell you what Starbucks is like. Everybody can tell you what Virgin's like. Everybody can tell you what Under Armour's like. Try to have someone tell you what Texas Instrument is like or what Sears is like. What is Sears doing? Do they sell tires or lingerie? I don't even know anymore. Or are they just out? They're out of business. They're out of business. But what happened first? Did they lose their culture and they lost who they were or they lost revenue? I position that they lost who they were as a company. Who knows what they were doing? All right. Well, so we're dentists, right? So we're dentistry. Like it's hard, you know, it's easy to have a cool airline because, you know, you can rock around like a rock star. But like, so how do you create that cool culture well, or not maybe not cool but how do you create you know well, you talked about the something. why you have to you create something about- so dentistry is just a service industry so it's like everybody at conventions comes up to me and says hey what's your advice for the best dental business model like as if you go up in restaurants and say hey to other restaurateurs what's the best restaurant model because depends on what you want i mean chipotle could be the best restaurant for me when i only have 20 minutes but maybe if it's my wife's anniversary, that's not going to exactly give me any, any respect that night or any, or any love in that night. <laughs> hey, baby, there's a special at Applebee's. But I mean, it just depends. So every dental practice is a snowflake and every dentist is its own signature idea of what it's supposed to be. So I have a buddy of mine who has a practice in L.A. and his thing is convenience. And his practice is open from 7 to 10 every day, 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. And that's a different type of culture. Convenience is its own culture. Your practice, you know, people save up possibly for years to have a smile makeover from you or have veneers done. That's a very different culture than the guy who has convenience. Or maybe a walk-in dental clinic is a different thing than what I've got. But it's whatever it is that you identify, your vision, what you express, what you want to be, you've got to explicitly define it and gently but consistently beat the drum. It has to be talked about every day. You have to identify it and give examples of it. So our morning huddle, we have examples of one of our core values. So in the morning, we all ask each other, is there somebody that can give a good example of how we lived in community yesterday? One of our agreements is to live in community. So is there any example of that? Yeah, you know, I want to kudos samantha wagner she came in and she totally set up my other room because i was running late and it was really cool or she came in and helped me with my x-rays or take some photos on a patient it was really cool so we kudos each other and we give praise to each other it's peer-to-peer recognition it's not the job of the leader to say hey sally that you did a good job because peer-to-peer recognition is really authentic and it means something not to say that leader down doesn't you know from the leader going down to a line level employee doesn't mean something but peer-to-peer really improves the culture 
because you want to appear in the presence of the audience of peers, right? Not just, right. and I think that's super right. empowering. So it's funny how we actually do the same thing. We just say, does anyone have any acknowledgements from yesterday? And I, I didn't even know you did that. Right. But um, is, it, is it any coincidence that you and I are doing such similar things unbeknownst to each other and getting similar results? I mean, success leaves clues. You don't have to reinvent the wheel here. Even if you just have something as simple as a morning ritual where you go over the prior day and acknowledge people for higher work performance or something exceptional, it's going to tend to improve the culture. I love it. it I'm kind of just like dumbfounded because I totally agree with everything you're saying. And it's funny how you we do the same. Some yeah, we the do same the same things. stuff. Well, One other get... thing that I want to do as well, which is a really cool concept, is when you look at reward for team members, you know, I hate the word employee, by the way, because like employee just makes me think of somebody that works at like uh, Best Buy in the storage in the, you know, not to say anything's wrong with Best Buy, but some sort of nondescript big box retailer. It just doesn't give me the warm and fuzzies when we say employee. So we call our people team members, you know, like Disney calls them cast members and all that. But one of the things that I find is interesting is the three currencies, emotion, time and money. I always like to talk about that. There's money, emotion and time. And with team members or employees, the only thing we ever discuss is money. That's the only way we show value. So employees come to you and say, hey, I've worked here another year. I've sat at my desk for another year. Can I have another dollar? Because it's the only currency they feel comfortable describing. But what I'm really a big fan of is we talk to people. I say, what is the most important thing for you? Is it time, experiences? Is it what? Is it money? And invariably, if you ask people outside of an annual review what's most important to them, you'll be surprised at what you hear. It may be something like leaving on Mondays at three so I can take my son to swimming practice or soccer practice or whatever. Or it may just be, I really value experiences. So, okay, great. If you can learn how to scan and design your own crowns, I can bring you to Serial World or, you know, Serac training or bring you to Vegas for an Invisalign meeting if you can do these benchmarks. So what we started doing was this peer-to-peer recognition program where where we hand each other SDG bucks, Spodak Dental Group bucks. So we hand everybody a certain amount of equal amounts of this money every month, and they have to give it to another team member. If they redeem it for cash, they lose 50% of the value. So we are encouraging them not to just take the cash. Because if I give you 200 bucks, you'll forget all about that I gave it to you. But if I gave you like a night at a resort, or an overnight stay at like for a staycation at a local hotel that's really nice. You'll remember that the rest of your life and the entire time you're there, you'll think about how this was a gift from the office and from other people in the office. And it really makes a big impact, a lasting impact. You don't remember the money at the end of the day. So what we do is we have a reward board. And with all these dollars that you're given, you can redeem it for certain types of experiences or gifts. But like I said, if you redeem it for cash, you only get half the value. But the cool thing about it is it's peer to peer. So certain people are getting like a thousand dollars in SDG bucks and other people are getting nothing, zero. So like normally, if you handed out a bonus system that way, one of your people that wasn't adding a lot of value would come storming up to you. Hey, Dr. Bolden, why did I not get any money? And, you know, Joanne got two hundred dollars. And you'd have to say, well, Joanne, you didn't to the employee salary, you didn't really add the value. And then they'd hate you and they'd probably quit. But if it's peer to peer and they come up to you, storm up to you, hey, I got nothing. Well, that's really interesting. 
You know, that's that's interesting. You may want to look at that because Sally got $2,000. So it focuses on adding value and creating a reward for performance. Accountability. Yeah, absolutely. But in, and, but not in a, in a dictatorship-like manner. Like, Sally, you did it wrong. And here's, I'm the one who says that. And you can say, look, we crowdsource this. Literally, we crowdsource right, your right. performance. There's good, intel- there's good information here that you may want to look at. If you didn't get a single dollar from your team, that does not bode well for what value you're adding. You know, that's man, interesting. I, uh, you know, obviously we didn't compare notes for this call, but we do something very, very similar in that I love what you say about the experience because I think that's the new luxury, right? Like everyone is all about, especially the millennials are all about experiential and connections and stuff like that. So what we do is if someone like, for instance, and we changed it up, but last month we had buckets for all the employees, little bags. And if someone went above and beyond and it was noticed by another team member, they would write a little note in there and say, hey, you kicked ass on that last procedure because you offered Miss Jones whatever, right? Whatever it was, right? So it's an acknowledgement that goes kind of into a paper form. And whoever kind of is has the most tickets, or let's just say the most customer service, they get to reach their hand into a grab bag at the end of the month that I've made pretty exciting in terms of the prizes that they can pull out. And so it's random, whether it's a $1,000 Amex card or it's a weekend stay at St. Regis or something, but they get something for being awesome and crowdsourcing that awesomeness right. from their peers. is So it's like we're doing, you know, it's kind of the same thing. The and, psychology behind why you and I are doing it is exactly the same. It's right. just no wonder why we're getting similar results. And that experience, those people going above and beyond, that's your culture. That is your culture. You can't script culture. It has to happen organically. But if you put systems in place that reward, you know, people going above and beyond, they're going to do more of it. And it works really well. I mean, and, and, you know, we can learn something from the millennials, Peter. I mean, because you getting more money, there's a hedonic treadmill. The more money you make, the less effect it has on you. We've all bought that brand new shiny car that we really wanted. And, you know, six months later, it's got a door ding on it. And you're like, frickin' car. I don't care about that frickin'. It's just a car. Get the, you spill the first cup of coffee in the sea. It's just a car. So it's a good lesson for all of us to trade stuff for experiences, scientifically proven to make you happier. You shouldn't spend on crap. It just, it gets old. It's not, you know, but memories last a lifetime. I was telling you just the other day, like I went to the Rich Carlton, talk about epic service. And uh, my four-year-old son at the time, he was eating strawberries at a little container. And he walks over, actually it was two at the time. He's four now. He took the strawberries and threw them in the toilet, flushed them and clogged the toilet. So I call the Ritz, I call downstairs, I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm really sorry. Uh, my toilet's clogged, but it's my fault. My son flushed strawberries down the toilet. And they said, Oh, that's uh, so sorry. We'll send them, you know, someone from the mechanical office up right away. I get a knock within 10 minutes. It's room service with fresh strawberries for my son. And then 10 minutes later, I get a knock to fix the toilet. But I will remember that the rest of my life. How much did it cost for them to send me up strawberries? I don't know, maybe five or $10, but that was the finest example of culture. We're delivering wow service. I'll remember that forever. And that person didn't have to ask for approval, right? Is right. They didn't have to go to the manager. Imagine how long that would have taken. They couldn't have gone to a manager. I spoke to an operator, just the person that normally transfer your calls, you know, and that's the probably one of the lowest level employees of the Rich Carlton is just the operator or maybe the valet parker, you know, just someone that doesn't have presumably a lot of training, but she took it upon herself because the Ritz is constantly and gently beating on the drum of we are exceptional service providers. And she took it upon herself to just go out of her way to do that. And that was fantastic. And maybe no one even knew about that. But I learn about my service on my organization through online reviews all the time. 
You know, I read reviews. I'm like, oh my God, that's incredible how passionate certain people are. And the number one reason why someone will leave our practice or write a negative review is typically not the dentistry. It's not like they created an open margin or whatever. It's it's more about the culture. You know, that person seemed like they didn't care. They explained the treatment plan, but they felt like they were just trying to get the money. So that's just the cultural thing. Our reviews are always about the culture, typically. I mean, and, you, and of course, you have to have good results, you know, but we're presuming that anybody listening to a podcast like this is hungry to exceed in their own profession. You know, you talk about how we can learn a lot from millennials, and I totally agree. And I want people to remember that at some point, definitely in our career, like the millennial dentist will be our new quote unquote competition. And oh, if yeah. they're better at being us than we are you know, if they're doing a better job at creating those experiences and we're slack and we're resting on our laurels and we're whatever, that if we're not creating the millennial experience, then obviously we're not going to be, they will not be patrons of our business, right? Absolutely. Um, And millennials value that experience. They value connection. They, they want to know why. I mean, they have high self-esteem. These are kids that have gotten 15 trophies by the time they were in like third grade, best posture, you know, they got trophies for everything. You know, you and I participation, right? Right. But a big trophy for participation. You and I won our little league championship and the size of the trophy wasn't as big as their posture trophy. That's a whole different discussion. I can't wait till my kids start getting trophies and participation. I'm going to smash them and be like, no, you can't reward just for participation. (laughs) Well, they just (laughs) beat her at my kid's uh, school. They just did away with homework. They just did away. She's in first grade. No more homework. They're taking away the treasure box. There was this box that they had that rewarded kids for exceptional performance. Parents were complaining. So imagine these people come into our workforce now and we're like, you know, you don't just get another dollar per hour because you sat in the chair your entire year. You actually have to do more. And they're not going to take it well from us because these are the people that got a bad grade in college and their mother called the dean of admissions and made him change the grade. So it's better when it's peer to peer. People don't take shit. People call each other out and they act like adults. Like we had this team meeting here where one of my people was um, trying to get a job. They wanted, she wanted to take over a job of someone that was leaving at the front desk. And the front desk job here is a greeter position. It's really hectic. And the, the team called each other out. They said, Hey, Samantha, you can't take that job. You're going to cry. People are going to make you cry. She's like, no, they're not. I'm going to be able to do this. Like, no, you're you're not going to be able to do that. I wasn't there. I heard about it. But a conversation, real and adult like that, could have never happened with like a leader or boss employee type of vibe. It was just honest and legit. They're like, hey, we need to get results here. We're six people on this team. You know, you're going to be at that front. You're going to lose it. You're going to cry. You're too sensitive. And it was a very constructive adult conversation to have. It was really cool. People were adult with each other. It's like such a refreshing thing to do at work. You know, people are always being childish at work, just gossiping and trying to tell the boss. The fact that that was, you know, I think that goes back to kind of the culture is that you, the fact that you weren't even there. I think I talked to so many dentists who feel like they need to be intimately involved in every conflict and whatever. And like, I hate that stuff. Honestly, I'm laughing because like you weren't even there and something got handled better than you would have handled it. It could have never been handled that way with me there. (laughs) There would have never, I would have felt uncomfortable and said like, Hey, you know, um, everybody just get along. Yeah. Yeah. You know, let's, uh, but it was a, it was a real conversation that needed to happen because, you know, Samantha does cry sometimes. And right. that position, like what would uh, Tom Hanks say? There's no crying in baseball or whatever. There's no crying at the There's front no desk. Dentistry. There's, There's no, no crying, crying in dentistry. Yeah. I mean, look, you got to be tough. 
So we've almost been talking about an hour. Can you believe it? And yeah. uh, I think in closing, let's. I like to try and, and you can do whatever you want when you have guests on. And obviously, you're not a guest anymore. You're, you're a quarterback in the seat. But I think an hour is like an attention span for, for me anyway. Actually, I take that back. Like 10 minutes is my attention span. <laughs> I when know. I start for you and I this. both, we just exceeded an attention span by six times. Hey, what's that over there? Right? Exactly. Object. Just but think I of think... all the emails you've gotten done while you've been talking. That wish, right? No, I'm <laughs> kidding. But I think kind of in closing, like I'm hoping to give, I like to try and make sure that people have like a next action step or what can they do? And there was something you said and you didn't say, I don't know what your term was, but basically I, in my own mind, interpreted it as like, what's your unique selling proposition? Like what's your mission? What's your core? Right. And I actually have spent time myself just in my little office, in my downstairs, just like what is our unique selling propositions? Like, why are we different and better? And I created like a list of what I thought they were. And then I gave that to the team and I was like, would everyone here agree with these? And they were like, yeah, and add this and add this. So like, I think that's a cool exercise to do, you know, is like, and I think that helps create, you know, we're talking about like creating the culture and how to do it. And I think it's, it's very hard. It's this intangible thing. But I think like really being, like creating self-awareness and establishing where you are now and not just saying like, oh, I have this awesome, amazing culture. And, and you really don't, unless let's say you really don't. Like, so take the exercise and say, you know what? Like, let me write these things down and be authentic with yourself and honest with yourself about why you are the best and, you know, why someone would want to work for you and why someone would want to work with the team you have and why someone, you know, all these right. things, well, right? Well, or awesome why a patient tools. would want to review you because... You, not because you didn't, not because you asked them, but because you had, they had an awesome experience. Like all these things, like what is your USP? Um, and also there's, there's great tools too, Peter. If it's uncomfortable for you to do this together with your office or your team, there's SurveyMonkey. We could do like anonymous surveys. Like why do we exist beyond making money? What do you believe our core values are? Because everybody talks about creating culture. We all have culture. The DMV has a goddamn culture. It's just a <laughs> shitty one. You know, so, it's, that's so, the total so, truth. Everyone has talk, culture. Yeah. So people are like, yeah, I want to create an office culture. I'm like, oh, dude, you got one. You know, I'll read your reviews and start telling you what your culture is. Your people perceive it as the energy they feel when you're in your office. So yeah. you just may not like your culture, but that's a good starting point. So if you get together with your team for a non-productive, I'm using finger quotes when I say non-productive, because this is wildly productive crap. If you stop production and actually work on this for, you know, a couple hours and hammer it out, you may not like the results you're getting, but at least you defined it and you can know where to measure and where to move it. Because if you're moody, your culture is going to be one of being moody and be people being scared of you. If you come in and some days you just blow up your team, you're going to have a fear-based culture. And it's just an expression of who you are. But that doesn't mean that you can't change. The culture of your organization is a good mirror to show your reflection of who you're being. And if you don't like it, pivot, change, adapt, grow. Yeah, and authentically audit yourself and ask for, make it a safe place for people to give you good feedback, whether that's patients or your team. And then you write, like pivot, like don't be like, I want to change all the time, honestly. You know, sometimes I'm guilty of probably trying to change too much, but I just want to stay dynamic and I want my team to know that we're dynamic and we're not this rigid fixed object. Like we will bob and weave based on the market conditions or, you know, whatever's going on, or maybe it's the hot app of the day, you know, Snapchat, but I'm giving crazy examples, but like be dynamic and don't just right. think that like what worked six months ago is going to work again. Like, and I think some of these are some of the things like you just have to authentically audit where you are and now. Own it and own it. And so own when, it you're, and when your team is like, 
you're a jackass because of these three things on the anonymous survey. If they love you enough to tell you where your deficiencies are, own it. Say, listen, I got some hard feedback. This was not easy, but you know, and you don't have to say what it was, but some of the things that are really important to me are, you know, being present. One of my things was I was like thinking I was a very good multitasker. So people would come up to me and ask me a question. I would literally like while they're talking to me, like whip out my phone and start replying to an email. The most disrespectful jackass move ever. But I had an, a couple people tell me that and I thank them. I'm like, I do not want to make you feel like you're not important because you are important to me. And I could see like my future jackass self. Like I could see like the ghost of Christmas future being that real jackass that doesn't have presence with people. And that was a pain point for me. And I said, I don't want to live that future pain. I am not going to do that. So I stood up in front of the team. I said, listen, I have some behaviors that make people feel like I'm not listening to them. Do me a favor. If you see me doing that, call me out because I don't want to be like that. I care about each one of you guys and I know how that could make people feel and I don't want to do that. So if you ever feel like I'm not paying attention to you, please call me out. Just like say it flat out. I don't want to live the same year over and over again for the next 50 years. I want to grow through life, bro. I don't want to keep living the same crap. That's a when you were talking, you're reminding me of a book called Extreme Ownership. Do you know what it is from Jocko Willenick? Have you ever no, have you read no. that? I'm writing it down right now it's, though. It's he's a he was a Navy SEAL. It's actually one of Mark Costa's most favorite book. I think it's on his book of fearsome, foursome, he calls them or something like that. But basically it's one of his favorite books. And it's totally about like everything is like you as the leader, you're accountable for everything, you know, successes and failures. And it's just a cool, cool book. He's like I wouldn't call him a scary dude, but he's intense. If anyone's ever I listened to his it. podcast, Jocko Willinick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen it's a bestseller. I'm looking on Amazon. I saw it. Because yeah, you, you know how Amazon it. recommends books after you've bought certain books. This one keeps <laughs> they showing know who up. you are. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, that's great. I'll listen to them. They know who I am better than I than I do. No, it's a great <laughs> I saw that one. All right, pal. That's awesome today. So it's a we, you know, I think we even have the bandwidth on this, and kind of we've left some meat on the bones, honestly, to do a part two one day down the road. I don't say we connect them back to back, but I think we've got there's just some more like things we can discuss that kind of contribute to this the culture and culture creation. You're right. Everyone has a culture, just not might be the one you want. <laughs> right. Some are managed and some are not. And I think it's really just important to recognize that you and I are still talking privately, learning from each other, growing. This is a never ending process and it's a beautiful process. You're never meant to be done. There's certain, you know, I think all goals should be life goals because when we cross off a finite goal, like run a half marathon, like the minute you do it, you're like, okay, that was cool. What next? Or graduate dental school yeah. or open a my own practice. So goals, every goal that's worthy should be a lifelong goal. And to become a better leader, a better human being, a better father, a better friend, those are awesome. And you can combine them with your business and make it even doubly fulfilling. Love it. You heard it here. You heard it here. All right, pal, let's log off. We'll get this yes, one posted because I believe this will help a lot of people with, with questions. And um, we'll connect offline with figure out what is next on the agenda for us to do in the Bulletproof Dental Practice podcast, buddy. Awesome, Peter. Wonderful to All be right, here over now. See you, pal. Thanks so much for listening to Bulletproof Dental Practice with your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak. Online at bulletproofdentalpractice.com. We'll catch you next time.